0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody. College football betting championship week edition. First episode in a week. Hope everybody is doing well. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving Did try to squeeze the second episode in last week, but got too busy with travel and family and Turkey and all that good stuff. But hope all of you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Hope all of you enjoyed the craziness on and off of the field at college football and hope everybody is ready for what should be a really fun championship weekend. And what I'm really excited about is we've definitely got some unique matchups, right? I mean, there is no Clemson in the ACC championship game for the first time in forever. There is no Oklahoma. Oklahoma doesn't even have a coach right now, let alone playing in the Big 12 championship game. The Big 10 title game is something we could not have possibly predicted. And so because of it, I think this is just going to be a really fun weekend in college football, and it's time to break it all down. You guys know how I work. You guys know how this all operates. Uh, I do not give you picks. I do not tell you where to wager your, your money. All I try to do is give you the best information possible. And so with that said, let's jump right in. Let's not waste any more time, and let's get to the game that we all care about. Georgia-Alabama SEC Championship game, Saturday afternoon, CBS, Gary and uh, Brad down there in Atlanta, and this should be a really fun one. Uh, I know that Georgia obviously has steamrolled everybody. I think it goes without saying, this is the best team that Georgia has played all season. Probably the most talent across the board that they have played since the Clemson game in week one. And let's never forget that Clemson game Georgia did not score a single offensive point. They win 10 to three. So it's not as though, even though Alabama has not been great, that Alabama will not be competitive or cannot be competitive in this game. I really don't remember all that many times in the recent college football history that Alabama has not even been competitive at all. I guess that championship game against Clemson a few years ago would be one. But uh, Stetson Bennett is not Trevor Lawrence. And so I expect an interesting game in this one. I think I mentioned it, but the spread, Georgia, a six and a half point favorite. The over under set at 50 and a half. And what I would say about this one is a few things. First of all, uh, you know, I I would say this about Alabama. At this point, we know that they are a very limited team. But if you listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, I talked about this on Monday. I actually got a newfound respect for Alabama following the Iron Bowl this past weekend. They fall down 7-0 at halftime. They can't move the ball. The offensive line is getting destroyed. And they were able to put it all together and piece together enough in the second half to ultimately rally, force overtime, and win in four overtimes 24-22. They did not score. They did not allow... Uh, a single touchdown in the second half. They they only allowed three points after halftime in regulation prior to overtime. And so what I saw from Alabama, this is not a vintage Alabama team, but one thing you cannot deny, they have fight, they have toughness, they are physical, they are physical along the defensive front. The O-line needs a lot of work, but the one thing they have is resilience and they will have the single best player on the field in Bryce Young, who was absolutely unbelievable this past weekend. The big thing with Georgia that I would say, before we get into individual matchups that I was thinking about, is just the idea, is it possible that Georgia is a little bit on cruise control? It sounds weird, it sounds bad, but it kind of, in some ways, kind of reminds me of Gonzaga in basketball entering the NCAA tournament, right? Gonzaga plays a bunch of big games early in the season, then they go into conference play, they don't have to play their best basketball and are still able to win games, and I do kind of wonder if that's the case with Georgia. I mean, look at Georgia's last five games coming out of the bye after that Kentucky game. Florida in a neutral, Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. I think Tennessee's a pretty good team. I think Florida played competitively for a half. But it's not as though they have played anyone anywhere remote caliber, uh, the caliber of Alabama. And so that was something I was thinking about coming into this game is does Georgia get off, uh, is there kind of a, a sticker shock of, I guess sticker shock's not the right word, but is there kind of just a shock the first time you line up and you realize, oh my God, those guys are just as big, just as tough, just as physical as us. It is something worth monitoring. In terms of the matchups themselves, I think it's obvious, right? Georgia has the best D line in college football. Jordan Davis, I still believe, should probably be considered for a Heisman Trophy uh, candidate. You know, he 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 should be really a Heisman Trophy type candidate. And so now you're going up against an Alabama def or an Alabama offensive line, excuse me, that has just been absolutely abysmal all year. A Few weeks ago against LSU, they rushed for just six yards. Last week, Bryce Young running for his life sack seven times. And I think when you start talking about this game, um. The, the bottom line is just going to be very simple, which is uh, how does Alabama keep Price Young al- alive, basically, for lack of a better term, because. Bryce Young was running for his life in that Auburn game. I give, again, that kid so much credit. But at the same time, as good as Auburn is, and I think that defensive front is actually pretty good, it is going to be a whole new deal going up against Jordan Davis and this Auburn, or this Georgia front seven, excuse me. It's worth noting, by the way, Georgia, uh, number three in the country in rush defense, giving up less than 80 yards per game. Again, an Alabama team, Brian Robinson, their best running back is banged up. Uh, I think as of right now, the expectation is that he is going to play but Alabama is a team that all season long has struggled to run the ball, has struggled to protect Bryce Young, and now the idea that they're all of a sudden going to just be able to handle Georgia, who, oh, by the way, I should mention, has 41 sacks this year in 12 games, almost four sacks a game. I would be worried if I was Alabama, and I think that is what they are trying to figure out this week as they prep for this game, is how do you protect Bryce Young? How do you keep him alive? Because that Georgia defensive front is coming after him. What I would also say, though, is I think we're going to spend so much time this week talking about that Georgia defensive front against Alabama's offensive line. I think it's gone completely unnoticed that Alabama's rush defense has actually been excellent this year. They rank fourth nationally, uh, giving up less than 80 yards per game. They are second nationally in terms of yards per carry. Georgia actually giving up slightly more, not very much, but slightly more yards per carry per game than Alabama is. Alabama number two in yards per carry behind only Wisconsin. And so I think the idea that Georgia is just going to run right over Alabama the way that everybody else has, I just don't see it. I think it's also worth noting, uh, go back to last year. I know everybody loves Stetson Bennett. I know that he's a great story. I'm glad that he has gotten his opportunity. He's flourished, but he played against Alabama last year in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it was clear that he was not good enough to lead you to a national championship. Now, I know he's gotten better, I know he's gotten tougher, 21 touchdowns, five interceptions this year, but let's be honest, Georgia has not put a lot on his shoulders at any time this season, um, and while he is improved, this is going to be the best defensive front that he has seen all year. Remember, he barely played, I don't think he played at all in that Clemson game, And so I just worry that if Georgia will be able to move the ball as well. So I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to bet. I will get into this on a deeper dive later in the week. But I think this idea, and I'm the guy that picked Georgia to win the national championship in the preseason. I was one of the few. They were my national championship pick back in August. But when you start to look at this Georgia Bulldogs team and you start to sit there and say, wait a second now how uh they're just going to steamroll alabama because they've steamrolled everybody else i'm not sure that i see it i could see a low scoring game i think that alabama defensive front is going to give stetson bennett some problems let's go to the next one big 10 title game indianapolis uh and the game no one could have predicted michigan hail to the victors playing iowa 43 and a half point uh excuse me 43.5 Forty-three and a half is the over under 10 and a half point spread Michigan a big 10 and a half point favorite and I know that feels like a lot but I will tell you I think that actually that number feels about right as you look at these two teams Iowa Michigan we know their story right you don't need me to tell you they beat Penn State beat Wisconsin beat Ohio State this past weekend Iowa on the other hand a weird up and down kind of campaign they start 6-0, getting into the top five nationally. They lose to Purdue and Wisconsin in back-to-back weeks by a combined score of 51-14. to But they have won four straight to close the regular season, including a victory over an eight-win Minnesota team and, of course, Nebraska on Thanksgiving weekend. The biggest thing in this game, look, it's no secret. It, we, again, we kind of know what Michigan's deal is, right? I think at this point, it, you know Michigan like you know Ohio State, like you know Georgia, like you know whoever, Alabama. You've just seen them a lot. Michigan wants to run the ball. They want to play great defense. Their defensive front is insane with Aiden Hutchinson and the other kid. I always forget his name. The defensive backs are phenomenal. But with Iowa, they're kind of the same team they've been all year. They want to control the ball, running the ball, and they want to turn you over. And if they cannot do that, they are very susceptible to losses. They are one-dimensional, and that offense has really struggled to move the ball against pretty much everybody. How about this first stat? Iowa is 123rd nationally in total offense this season. Total offense, 130 teams. Iowa, which is playing for a Big Ten championship this weekend, is 123rd nationally. That is the third worst of all Power 5 schools. Only Indiana was worse and only Colorado was worse. Iowa, 10-2 playing for a Big Ten title. Those other teams that are behind them were all pretty much terrible. So, again... That's what this game comes down to, right? Can Iowa run the ball? Can they can they force turnovers? And if they can, they could stay in the game, and if they won't. Now, with Michigan, what I would say is a couple things. One, credit Michigan. They found their identity, they stuck to their identity, and they rode it all the way to a Big Ten championship game. Um, we know what Hassan Haskins is capable of. We know the fact that they had over 290 yards rushing, 297 total on Saturday with Hassan Haskins rushing for five touchdowns. Um, and I think Cade McNamara has been been good when he has been asked to, to kind of throw the ball, but this is a team that wants to rely on the ground game, rely on the run game, but it's worth noting, this is one of the best run defenses they'll see all year. 14th ranked nationally in run defense, but it's also worth noting that Ohio State came into the game last weekend ranked in the top 15 nationally in rush defense and Michigan ran all over them. So Michigan seems to be peaking. Michigan seems to be playing its best football. What I think this game ultimately comes down to, it's not sexy. It's not super fun to talk about. But who takes care of the football? Who runs the football more effectively? Who controls the clock? It is worth noting, as I said, Iowa turns turns you over about as much as anybody. They are second in the country with 28 turnovers forced. Michigan, to its credit, I'll say this, Michigan through the years with Harbaugh. One of the big reasons they could not win close games, it's because they turned the ball over too much. This year, they have been much better with the ball. Nine turnovers in just 12 games. And so it'll be interesting to see. Really excited to see the crowd in Indianapolis. I think it'll be good for this league. Um... You know, Michigan, we kind of know their history in these big games. Maybe they knocked the monkey off their back, but I would not be surprised to see this one competitive because Iowa, look, Iowa is going to force you into a phone booth. They're going to limit possessions, and they are going to try to take your will, running the ball, chewing down the clock, hoping that you make a mistake. One last thing that I do think is worth noting here. You know, we've talked about the idea of Michigan being in the college football playoff. If Iowa wins this game, 10-2, and two, win over Michigan... I think they're probably the Big Ten representative and probably making the college football playoff because of a lack of other candidates. So let's not act like Michigan has so much to play for and Iowa doesn't. What I would also say finally, I don't know how many of you have looked too far ahead yet. You guys know where the national championship game is? It's in Big Ten country in Indianapolis. And so I look at this game and you talk about so much at stake for both teams. I think both teams are playing for a playoff spot. I think if Iowa wins this game, they get in, even if there may be a four seed. And then never forget also that if they win a semifinal, whoever gets into the college football playoff, um, if they were to win a semifinal, then guess what? The game, the national championship game is in Indianapolis, and you would think that geographically and fan wise, they would have an advantage. So both of these teams have a lot to play for, but again, Michigan, we know what they're about. Great running game, great run, uh, great pass, pass rush, great pass defense. The big question is, will they be able to run the ball on Iowa's runoff run defense, which has been good all year? And also, more importantly, will they be able to limit turnovers against an Iowa team that has forced 28 this season? Let's get to the last big um, Power 5 game, I guess you would say, that has playoff implications. And, you know, you talk about just an absolute shocker baylor oklahoma state played for the big 12 title at jerry world the spread oklahoma state is a five point favorite the over under is set for 56 56 and a half fascinating game as it's been well documented the big 12 offices are thrilled oklahoma just had its legs cut out from it by by the by the uh by the pokes there by by oklahoma state lincoln riley is now gone to usc And we got Oklahoma State-Baylor, two teams that are staying in this conference once Texas and Oklahoma leave, playing for the Big 12 title. In terms of this game, I can't help but think one thing. Dating back to last week's show where I previewed Bedlam, I hyped up that Oklahoma State team a lot, and they really didn't make me look very smart. If that was the first time you saw Oklahoma State this weekend, you probably came away pretty unimpressed. A defense that has been great all year gave up 441 yards. They also gave up 33 points to Oklahoma, the most points that they've given up all year. And it's also worth noting on the other side of the football, on offense, they turn it over three times, I guess, really on offense, they turn it over twice, plus a special team's gaff, and they still find a way to win, uh, thanks in large part to some maybe a little bit of questionable uh, refereeing in that game. But I think the big key in this game, it, it's straightforward. These teams have played once, and as I've told you about Baylor before, they want to run the football. They want to run the football. They are 8th nationally in rushing offense, 70th nationally. They're in the 70s in in pass offense. This is Baylor I'm talking about now. And in the first game that these two teams played, Oklahoma State did a really good job of limiting Baylor and what they are capable of doing. Baylor was held to 14 points, which was their season low this year, 3 of 15 on third down in that game, 107 yards rushing, but they averaged like 3.5 yards per carry on 30 attempts, only 10 first downs in that game. And I think that's the blueprint to beat Baylor. Nobody else has been able to do it, though. Jerry Bohannon, their 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 quarterback, is a run-first guy. Their quarterback, he is completing just 64% of his passes, 17 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. 17 touchdowns, obviously not a bad season. But when you think about a 12-game regular season in the Big 12, that's not all that many passing TDs to, to consider. 64% completion percentage in that game as well. So I bring it up to say Baylor wants to run the ball and Oklahoma State, despite their struggles, they are one of the best run defenses in college football. They rank six nationally, giving up only 93 yards per game. And overall, they play really, really, really good defense. Uh, this is Oklahoma State. I'm talking about top five nationally in total rushing y- or in total, uh, total defense and scoring defense in terms of Baylor's offense or in terms of Oklahoma State's offense, excuse me, uh, uh, you know, really a team that does not throw the ball a ton. Spencer Sanders, their starting quarterback, has been good but not elite. 2,200 yards passing, 60% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns. I just talked about Jerry Bohannon only having 17 touchdowns touchdown passes this year Spencer Sanders with just 16 touchdown passes and has been sacked 12 times in 12 games so uh, Oklahoma State obviously wants to run the ball with Jalen Warren obviously Dave Aranda you know he's known for his defense Baylor with a great run defense this year top 20 nationally Um, you know this came when they these two teams played the first time the final score in that one was 24-14. to uh, That was an Oklahoma State win. I would also expect a low-scoring game in this one as well. Don't tell you how to bet, uh, but that over-under of 46.5 looks pretty good. All right, that's what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. We'll preview the rest of the games this weekend, rip through the other two Power 5 championship games, and then, of course, we will get to uh, Cincinnati-Houston, which uh, is, is another top-25 matchup along with – Uh, The Big Ten, the Pac-12, all these are power, whatever. You get the point. Houston-Cincinnati is a top 25 matchup. We'll be right back. All right, before we get to the rest of the Championship Week picks, I do want to welcome back a message from our partners at DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings has an incredible offer for Championship Weekend. The link is in the show description for everything you need to know. But here's the deal. I've told you about it before, and it is still good now. For new users in the DraftKings Sportsbook, you bet $1 on any team, and if that team scores one point, so maybe it's Georgia, maybe it's Michigan, maybe it's Iowa, I don't tell you how to bet, but if that team scores one point and you bet $1, you get $100 in free cash thanks to the DraftKings Sportsbook. Here's what you gotta do. Here's how you gotta take advantage of the offer. As I just said a minute ago, there is a link in the show description that will take you straight to the page. Sign up for a DraftKings Sportsbook account. has to be a first-time user. You make a $1 bet on any team this weekend, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama. If that team scores one point, it's not a, its not an against-the-spread bet. It's not a Moneyline bet. If they score one point, you win $100 in free cash. You got to go ahead and make the deposit, make the bet, but you get $100 in free bets. If that team scores one point, And it's all thanks to our friends at DraftKings. It's the best offer going in sports betting. So do me a favor and go ahead and act now. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, 1-800-426-2537. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, one 800 9 within in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia, 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, or call or text Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. 21-plus are over to enter, 18-plus are over in Wyoming, Arizona Colorado Illinois Indiana Iowa Michigan New Jersey Pennsylvania Tennessee Virginia West Virginia Wyoming only minimum five dollar deposit minimum one dollar wager eligibility restrictions apply see DraftKings.com sportsbook for full terms and conditions all right everybody I am back good to be back good to be back let's wrap this show let's wrap this puppy up here we just hit through the three big ones SEC Big Ten Big 12 let's get to the other three big games this weekend they are of course uh in the Pac-12 the ACC and the AAC where I think there's actually a very interesting matchup I think Houston could give Cincinnati problems we'll get to that one in a minute let's start with the Pac-12 title game in Vegas Friday night plan your schedules accordingly Allegiant Stadium the beautiful new stadium in Las Vegas uh just throw by it it is a stunner by the way a real stunner Utah versus Oregon if it feels like you just watched this game It's because he did two weeks ago. Final score on that one was 38-7, to an absolute butt-kicking. I should mention this game, the over-under is, uh, or the spread is Utah minus three, over-under set at 59.5. It's worth noting that was about what the numbers were in Salt Lake City when Utah was at home. So now they're about the same on a neutral field. And what I would say to go back to that first game, first of all, it was just a butt-kicking of epic proportions, and that was what stood out to me. Mario Cristobal, he is a guy, uh, and this is no disrespect, I think he's done a good job at Oregon, but a guy that has built Oregon up uh, and kind of used the motto that they're going to out-tough you, out-physical you, uh, whatever terms you want to use, well guess what happened last time they played? Oregon finished with just 63 yards rushing in that game. Utah completely dominated on the line of scrimmage on both sides with 208 yards rushing on their end. And so, one, can Oregon match Utah's physicality in this game? And then, two, with this one, what it really comes down to for me is what I talked about, uh, you know, really going into the first game here, is that does Oregon have enough of a run game to supplement Anthony Brown, their quarterback, who I just don't think is an elite quarterback, okay? This is no disrespect to the kid. It's nothing personal, but this is a kid that this season is completing 64% of his passes, 15 touchdowns in 12 games, four interceptions, And I just look at him and I just say that is not a guy that can put a team on his back the way that Bryce Young can, the way that C.J. Stroud can when you need a guy to make big plays. And I don't believe that this run game has really been the same since C.J. Verdell went down with an injury about four, five, six weeks ago. I know that statistically Oregon ranks in the top 20 nationally and rushing offense, but again, it goes back to what I just said a minute ago, is they got completely punked at the line of scrimmage when they played Utah the first time two weeks ago in Salt Lake City, and I don't know if it's going to get any better. Now, to their credit, they were much better uh, a few days ago when they played Oregon in the Civil War. In that game, they did uh, put up a whole bunch of offense. They put up uh, like 600 yards of offense and uh, in, in a game that they won 38-29, to 29. Joe Moorhead was in his bag. But again, can you do it against a much better Utah team? There is a little bit of good news on the injury front for Oregon, and that is that they had three guys that kind of were in and out of the lineup last week against Oregon State in the Civil War uh, because of uh, injuries. Three important players, I really should say. Kayvon Thibodeau, their defensive uh, star, defensive end, who might be the number one overall pick in the draft. Noah Sewell, their best linebacker, and Michael Wright, a corner all left that game at various points with injuries all are expected to be ready to go from Utah's perspective not much has changed I told you two weeks ago, they are they are a much different team over the second half of the season after Charlie Brewer, a Baylor transfer, elected to leave the program via the transfer portal and after a, a, a guy named Cam Rising was put in at quarterback. Now, Cam Rising is not a big playmaker, difference maker, you know, throw the ball 40 times a game, but what he has been is a stabilizing influence on that offense, and that offense has really taken off since he took over, At quarterback earlier this year again he is not a guy that's going to go throw the ball all over the field but 2100 yards passing 17 touchdowns this season and this offense has really exploded eight and one overall in games that he started 34 or more points in seven straight games culminating in that 38-point performance against Oregon a few weeks ago, just 28 points last week against Colorado, but I think it's pretty obvious that they were just trying to uh, get through that game and get ready for this one. In terms of what's at stake, I do think it's worth noting. Utah has, as best I know, never played in a Rose Bowl and certainly never been in a Rose Bowl dating back to the time uh, that they have been in the Pac-12. And so obviously for Utah, this would be the opportunity to go to the school's first ever Rose Bowl game, which would obviously be very cool for them. Um, But uh Oregon of course it was there la- a couple years ago as well but uh you know I don't I don't think that Oregon has less to play for like they wouldn't be excited to go to the Rose Bowl but Utah obviously with a little bit of extra motivation having never played in a Rose Bowl previously Oregon as I just said there a moment ago was there back in 2019 uh the most recent time that the Rose Bowl game was played uh, it has been there a few more times in the last decade. So a lot to play for Allegiant Stadium Friday night. As I said, plan your schedules accordingly as it appears as though Oregon and Utah, it doesn't appear, Oregon and Utah are playing for a Pac-12 title. Let's get to the ACC uh, Saturday night in Charlotte. And you talk about, you know, I, I led the show by saying what a weird year it is in in these bowl uh, uh, conference championship game matchups. Does it get any weirder than the ACC where for the first time since 2014, we have no Clemson, How about this for the first time since 2008, the ACC Atlantic division is not decided by Clemson or Florida State. So first time since 2008 that we will have neither Clemson nor Florida State in this ACC championship game. What were you doing back in 2008 during that uh, classic ACC championship game between uh, between Boston College and Virginia Tech? I don't know what you were doing. But every every game since then, since 2009 on, has included either Clemson or Florida State. This one includes neither. As Pitt and Wake Forest will play, Pitt is a three point favorite. The over under set at 72 and a half, and with good reason. If you guys like points, we're going to get plenty of them in this game. In terms of Wake Forest, look, I've talked about it. They are as explosive of an offense as there is in college football, bar none. This was the number three scoring offense in all of college football this year. They scored 34 or more points in 11 of their 12 games this season. Um, You know, they kind of have this cool hybrid uh, run pass offense with Spencer Hartman, their their quarterback. Spencer Hartman has been phenomenal. Wake Forest overall as a team, 350 yards, 315 yards passing per game, excuse me. The problem, of course, with Wake Forest is they can't stop a nosebleed here. Uh, They are terrible overall, 91st nationally in scoring, allowed, 118th nationally against the run, and they were awful down the stretch they gave up 58 to North Carolina in their first loss of the season barely survived 45-42 against NC State and then gave up 41 to Clemson uh, which was about as bad of a performance uh, as you can have because Clemson wasn't very good offensively this year so Wake Forest that offense really struggles just about the only save, or that, that Wake Forest defense struggles I should say just about the only saving grace is that their pass defense is okay And they're, of course, going up against the best passer, maybe, frankly, in all of college football, uh, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, of course, leads a high-powered Pittsburgh offense. They have scored 30 or more in 10 of their 12 games this year, the only games they did not 28 points against Virginia Tech, 27 against Clemson. So every game this year, they've scored at least 27 points, 30-plus in 10 of 12. And Pickett's a star fifth nationally in passing yards overall coming into this game, 40 TD second in the country. And so the big question is, can Wake Forest do just enough in the pass game to slow down Kenny Pickett because the run game is ranked just 72nd nationally uh, in terms of Pitts defense, You know, Pitt's done just enough kind of on their end as well. They're far from an elite defense, especially against the pass, 112th nationally against the pass, so you would think it would be advantage to Spencer Hartman and those guys there, but they are very elite against the run, giving up less than 92 yards per game, so I look at this and I just sit there and say that's kind of what it comes down to. Pitt is awesome against the run can they stop the pass and then vice versa wake forest is actually pretty good against the pass as well they will need to be against a really 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 explosive pit offense this will be a fun one i know there's other games that have more stakes but it's not going to get much more fun this weekend than pit versus wake last game i really want to hit on you know this is a mega one houston is hosting cincinnati not hosting they're playing cincinnati in the aac championship game uh cincinnati is a ten and a half point favorite the over-under in this game for the Bearcats and the Houston Cougars is set at 54. And it is worth noting, by the way, it is worth noting that this is one of the few conference championship games that is played on a true home field. So this is not Atlanta for the SEC. This is not Charlotte for the ACC. This isn't Vegas for the Pac-12. They are playing at Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati. So that's why the spread is 10 and a half because I'll tell you this, we've talked a little bit about Cincinnati on this show over the last couple weeks. But we haven't talked much about Houston, and I think Dana Holgerson has done about as good of a job as people could possibly expect there. They lost their opener to Texas Tech in a game that they actually were in complete control in and have won 11 games since. What I don't think a lot of people realize about Houston in going 11-1 and one this season, it's actually been their defense, right? We think of Dana Holgerson, we think of the air raid, we think of all the things that he did at West Virginia, They are the number six ranked defense nationally and a top 20 scoring defense like that is a big deal for a Houston team and Dana Holgerson because we know they can score points. This will be the best defense that Cincinnati has played at least since Notre Dame, maybe all season, and they better be ready to come locked in, ready to go. And it's not like they have been great to start games previously. Remember. They were scoreless last weekend in their first, uh, their last game of the regular season against East Carolina. 14-12 at halftime against Tulsa a few weeks ago. 13-10 at halftime against Navy. If they do not come out ready to go, this this Houston team plays real defense, and they will be ready to go. And to Houston's credit as a it probably in not very surprising news, they can absolutely move the ball and they can absolutely put the ball in the end zone, averaging 38 and a half points per game. That is, the, that is in the top 10 nationally, second only to Cincinnati in this conference. And so you talk about a team that can score, that can defend, that will be the biggest challenge that Cincinnati has faced all year. Four o'clock Eastern kickoff, it's going head to head with the SEC. Don't know how much you'll watch this. I'm just telling you, Houston can give Cincinnati problems. These teams obviously did not play in the regular season. I think this is the best team that, that Cincinnati has played, certainly at least since Notre Dame. I think you could argue they're maybe even better than Notre Dame overall. And so I would watch out. I would also, if you like what you just heard there, Houston, top 10 defense, top 10 offense, top 10 scoring offense, I should say. This is one you might want to jump on because I wouldn't be surprised if this number went down. I think that's it for this episode of college football betting with Aaron Torres is worth noting. We have one regular season game this weekend. USC is at Cal. This is the makeup game for when Cal could not play because of covid vaccinations, even though that ninety nine percent of their team was vaccinated. So we got that one. Billy Napier. uh, As of this recording, I still don't know if he's coaching this game for Louisiana Lafayette against Appalachian State. Uh, and then also a couple other ones throughout the weekend. So busy weekend, fun weekend. We will be back with a second episode later this week. Uh, but I'm going to get out of here for right now. Before I do, I want to remind you, make sure that you are subscribed to College Football Betting with Eric Torres. couple more episodes in the offseason. We'll do some bowl stuff and all that. So don't worry. We got plenty, plenty, plenty more. Uh, to get to throughout this uh, throughout these coming weeks uh, so we will do bowl previews we will do all sorts of stuff obviously playoffs national championship as well so it 's not as though this episode, this show is going away this is the last show this is the last week for a while where we will have two episodes in one week but before we get out of here make sure that you are of course subscribed Apple Spotify Google, google music amazon music wherever you listen to podcasts also do me a quick favor make sure to rate and review the show on the itunes page really does help us move up those charts make people more aware of us uh, and if you're not following on social media at aaron underscore torres on twitter at aaron torres pod on instagram i'll be back later this week people enjoy